Folks, I thought I'd uh, begin by sharing this uh, painting from Rembrandt, another one. This is a, an interesting rendition of his painting of the gospel that Steve, uh, gospel reading that Steve just shared with us. This is uh, Joseph depicted as an older man, I would older than I imagine Joseph. And you see the angel there with curls giving him this news, explaining the meaning of what was happening in his life. We don't usually hear this story at this part of Advent, as you know, those of you who've been with us in the last few weeks, we are engaged upon a series uh, that I have called The Journey to Bethlehem, trying to prepare our hearts and minds to hear the traditional readings of Advent and Christmas, the Christmas story in a, in a new and fresh way. So along this, along the way on our journey to Bethlehem, preparing ourselves, our hearts and minds for Christmas Eve, we're asking three questions, um, questions about the, the, you know, what did these stories reveal to us about the, the nature and character of God? And particularly, what did they reveal about the identity of this child? And what did these stories reveal about ourselves, about who we are and what our purposes are in life? And my goal is that at least you'll learn one thing that you didn't know about Christmas each and every week. So I'm hopeful that uh, that will happen today. So last week we focused on the story of Mary and Elizabeth, the, the Mary now pregnant who has journeyed uh, to uh, live with during her pregnancy, her uh, the one I named Aunt Lizzie, her, her cousin, Elizabeth. Um, this week, our story shifts. It shifts. Uh, we're going to depart from the Gospel of Luke today and look at, at Matthew's portrait. And our story shifts to a different location. We've gone from Nazareth to Ain Karim, and now we're going to a little town, a little town called Bethlehem. Now, most people that I know when I sit down in Bible study with them think that both Mary and Joseph came from Nazareth. Luke's account locates the infancy stories in, in Jesus's upbringing in Nazareth, and they, and they focus all on Matthew. But Matthew's portrait of Jesus doesn't focus on Mary so much. It focuses instead on Joseph. So we get from Matthew, um, you know, sort of the, the rest of the story that, uh, you know, the angel tells Mary that she's going to be, be become pregnant. And, and today we get to encounter Matthew getting that very interesting good news. And this story is located not in Nazareth, but rather where Joseph is living, which is Bethlehem. Now, if you read Matthew alone, you read that Joseph's hometown was Bethlehem. We don't even hear about Nazareth until Jesus is about two years old. Mary's hometown was Nazareth. Joseph's hometown was Bethlehem. So they had a long-distance engagement. Uh, they lived at least 70 miles apart. Um, so let's talk about let's talk a little bit about Bethlehem and and come to know it a bit. Uh, last week we were up in the northern county of Galilee. This week we're down in Judah, a different province within uh, the Roman Empire. And uh, Bethlehem was a village. They had about five hundred people, maybe as many as a thousand at one time. They were six miles. The, the the village is six miles from Jerusalem, about a two hour walk. 
Uh, it's near a mountain. Uh, and uh, the word Bethlehem is important to us. It means house of bread. You see, in the environs, they grew wheat and barley. They thrashed and milled and baked and sold it in Jerusalem. So that was the work of the village in which uh, Joseph grew up. And, uh, and so I'm told that if you uh, if you went to Bethlehem, you were able to smell everywhere you went. You could smell bread. And so Bethlehem was uh, the house of bread. That's the name of the town. And so the people there would have been farmers and millers and bakers and also some shepherds. And as we know, Joseph was a carpenter. And as we, we talked about last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that a carpenter in those days would have meant something that we would imagine if we combine the skills of a traditional carpenter today and a mason, well, that would be the kind of uh, super skill that, that a carpenter of his day would have had. So they lived on the edge of the Judean desert. Uh, and uh, today that place has over 130,000 folks. And, um, and I'll say more about that today because it's rather tragic. But uh, the, uh, the important point to, for us to remember in our story is that Bethlehem had two, not just one, but two very, very famous sons. The first that doesn't in our story much uh, today is King David, a shepherd anointed by the, the uh, by Samuel. And, um, and then, of course, our own Jesus. So today, Bethlehem is part of uh, the politics of our time, just as it was in Jesus's time in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. Bethlehem is part of the West Bank, you see, and 30 percent of its 130,000 inhabitants are Palestinian Christians, 70 percent are Palestinian Muslims. And there's a great wall that surrounds the city. A wall, it's, uh, I'm told it's 23 feet high. And, it, and its purpose is to keep people out of Israel proper. So to keep the people in. And there are guard towers uh, from the uh, Israeli a defense force guarding surrounding the you know the West Bank and and so uh, the interesting thing these towers these guard towers are purported to be keeping the peace. Um, just wanted to give you that image as we think of of our story today. So imagine living in the 19th ward in a world surrounded by a wall. Um, it speaks, I think, if you imagine that, not being able to actually get into the city of Rochester proper, that speaks to the conflict uh, that we have in our world today. And, and the interesting thing to me about this is just for us to marvel a little bit about this place protected by walls and Israeli guards with machine guns is a place where the Prince of Peace was born. I don't know about you, but I imagine that can't be what God desires for God's people. Stark contrast, I would say, to what we're studying today. So let's talk about this child. Normally, a woman reached puberty and then uh, became engaged, and their engagement lasted for about a year. Um, at the end of that period, the 
husband, the, the, the male and the female became uh, husband and wife, but they didn't live together. They didn't live together until the boys had grown into men and were able to take care of their family. So the boys were usually married at, you know, 14, 15, 16. And when they were old enough and skilled enough to support a family using the trade their father taught them, then the two would come together. So it's a bit different than our norm. Uh, there would have been a, a, a period of uh, an arranged marriage, followed by a betrothal period, followed by them being married but not living together, followed by the period of them eventually forming their own household. So Mary and Joseph had an arranged marriage. As I said, they were 70 miles apart. Um, and in the context of this very normal way of going about things, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant and he isn't the father. What's interesting, I think, in this story is what Joseph does about this. He doesn't behave in the way that uh, that many of us would. I'm not sure how I would behave had I been in his shoes. Uh, he decides not to expose her. Now, think about this. A young boy, really, a young man, perhaps, frustrated, hurt, filled with emotions. Uh, and he decides he won't expose her to the public stoning which was his right. As I talked about a couple of weeks ago, when I talked about Mary in, in Deuteronomy, it, it, you know, his legal right would have been to have all the men gather in front of her home and have her stoned. But apparently Joseph was a man of exceptional restraint. We don't see, the story doesn't tell us about any tyrannical passions, it doesn't talk about his jealousy. What it tells us is that he refused to act according to his right. He refused to act according to the law, but rather chose to act in a manner that Jesus would later exemplify in Jesus's treatment of what the Bible calls sinners. He chose to quietly dismiss her. He must have struggled to understanding the meaning of what was happening to him, but he chose to just simply quietly, quietly let it be. And this was all before the angel came to him. So Joseph went to sleep one night, having already decided that he would not do what was his right, but rather what his heart told him would be the peaceful thing to do. And an angel appeared to him. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus, because... He will save his people from their sins. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what Jesus's name means, and it does mean, uh, you know, God is the one who saves us. So I think this is fascinating. Matthew includes in his portrait of the Jesus he knew this story. He tells us that all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the, pop, the prophet would be fulfilled. And in case we don't know what the prophet said and which prophet he's talking about, he gives it to us explicitly. He, he quotes Isaiah 7. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel. Well, what does that mean? 
let's talk about Isaiah, the gospel of Isaiah. I, it's my, the Isaiah, uh, prophet Isaiah is my favorite prophet. Uh, and, and in fact, the reading that Tom so beautifully read to us today is the passage from which we get our word gospel. It's the word, the only place in the Old Testament where we get the Greek word evangelion from which uh, the word prophet is derived. And it's the, it means the good news. And so the, the prophet Isaiah is the one who brings us this good news about a God who refuses uh, refuses to leave his people in exile, who promises to make a way through the wilderness, to, to take them out of exile and to bring them home. Well, in Isaiah 7, we see the story of of uh, King Ahaz. This is 735 years before Jesus was born. King Ahaz, he was the king of Judah. At this time, there were two kingdoms. The, the kingdom that David had created had been split. It had something of a civil war. And so we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So what we now knew as Galilee, uh, you know, was basically the geographic region of what was known as the northern kingdom. It was right on, the, the northern kingdom it was, was right on the road between Egypt and Babylon. And, and so it's the road, the strategic highway along which all the, the armies uh, between those those two warring countries would uh, would 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 travel. Uh, King Ahaz was, uh, in a, in a certain sense, a little bit like Uncle Joe Biden, our president-elect, who. Uh, um, who, who was probably all is probably all excited now. He's looking forward to his inauguration. He's looking forward to leading his country. You see, King Ahaz, in the, at the time of this story that that uh, we that is referred to in Isaiah seven, had just become king. Now he's not like Joe Biden in another sense. He was a kid. He wasn't sixty-eight years old or seventy-eight years old. Uh, he he was just twenty years old. He had, and so barely shaving, you'd, you'd imagine. Now imagine someone like that, and 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 he, he ascends to the throne, and and right when he's ascended to the throne, he's faced with these two older kings, threatening his land, the land for which he's responsible now, militarily. They tried to bully the new king. The, you see, the kings of the northern kingdom and Damascus. Uh, the king, the kingdom called Aram, but it, it, we would know it as Damascus today. Uh, they were trying to compel him to join them in a geopolitical alliance against the Assyrian Empire. And you can imagine what that would have been like. He ascends to the throne. All of a sudden, he has this great geopolitical crisis. These these two bigger kings with, with armies that are ready to, to uh, launch into war with him, and they are trying to compel him. And he's terrified, and he, he wonders, what should he do? You see, if he didn't have Judah join the alliance, well, then these two kings said that they would destroy Judah. But if he did join them, the Assyrian Empire would surely destroy Judah, too. And so he, he was in a no-win situation. And, and, and at this poignant point, when he's talking to the private, uh, prophet Isaiah, he, he's experiencing this, this solitude, this sense of being all alone, of being abandoned, really. And he was facing quite a bleak midwinter, a very dark future. There was no way of avoiding a very painful path, no matter which path he took. The prophet Isaiah went to him and prompted uh, uh, Ahaz. He, God sent uh, Isaiah to Ahaz and, and, and prompted Isaiah to tell Ahaz that uh, God says, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid, young king. God is with you. God will always be with you. You shouldn't trust in foreign allies, but God alone. These two kings, the prophet said, will be defeated. But the prophet, I mean, the, the king, king Ahaz was still fearful. He, he was certainly reassured by the good word, but he wanted, uh, he, he, he wanted uh, more reassurances. And Isaiah told him, well, then ask God for a sign. But King Ahaz refused that as a good and proper king. He said, I, it's, it's not proper to demand a sign of God. But I, Isaiah said, well, whether you ask a sign of God or, of, of God or not, God's going to give you a sign. And, and the sign he will give you is that a son will be born to you and his name will be Emmanuel. God with us. That's the significance of this son who will be born. Well, as a side note, let me tell you that in 722, the northern kingdom and the, the kingdom of Damascus, Damascus were destroyed by the Assyrians. Uh, but the more important point is surely Matthew knew this story. For there was indeed a child who was born, and that child was in his genealogy, as was Ahaz. They were both his forebearers. The genealogy, by the way, that is included at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And so now this angel was telling Matthew that what happened in the days of Isaiah was going to happen again. A child was to be born. A child who is a sign for all of us that we, like King Ahaz, shall never be alone. God has become visible in the flesh so that we need not be afraid. And through this child, God will make it clear to all humankind that I will always be with you. Now, many folks I know, perhaps some of you, stumble over this story because it prophesies the virgin birth. But in biblical terms, that's missing the entire point of Matthew's inclusion of this story in his portrait of who Jesus is. Now, if you'd like to talk about the virgin birth itself, you, I've, I've, I've shared with you thoughts on that actually last year, and I'd be happy to talk to, independ talk to you independently later. I don't want to speak so much about, about that part of it and what your reservations might be today, but rather talk about what the meaning of that is. As, as my mentor, Stanley Harawas, put it, too often those who worry about uh, whether we are required to believe in the virgin birth do so assuming that we are being asked to believe in something for which there is no evidence. But Matthew is telling the story about a God who refuses to abandon us and who even becomes one of us so that we might be redeemed. Virgin births are not surprising given that this is the God who has created us without us, but as Augustine observes, who will not save us without us. What the Father does through the Spirit to conceive Mary's child is not something different than what God does every day through creation. God doesn't need to intervene in creation because God has never been absent from creation. Creation isn't something that's back there, but creation is something that is God's ongoing love of all that God has willed and all that God continues to will it to exist. So what should startle us, what should stun us is not that Mary is a virgin, 
but that God refuses to abandon us. And I think that tells us an awful lot about ourselves. And I think this is, I, I think this is what Matthew's point is in, in putting this story front and center at the very beginning of his portrait of who Jesus is. He, he also is telling us something about ourselves, our, uh, about, about Jesus's calling on our lives. It tells us who we are to be. It tells us what our actions are to convey, what we should seek the meaning of our lives to be. For Christ this babe is the king, and this king is the head, and we are the body. We are the body of Christ. We're the body of this babe. We are the body of Jesus. We are the living hands of Christ here, now, present, in our time, in this world. And our calling is to be what that baby was and what that baby is, a sign to the world that God is with his people that God is and will always be with his people. So I want to ask you, do you know someone who needs to hear that particular message, that God is with them, that they are not alone? How many people can you think of? How many people can you reach out to this weekend in the coming week who may be facing a crisis like young King Ahaz, who feel stuck in a hard place, alone, abandoned, facing a bleak midwinter, a no-win situation, a dark and lonely path before them, no matter which path they take? As I just think about the people gathered here today, I can name several of you who are going through really, really hard times and are perhaps feeling just this way yourselves right now. Who can you re reach out to who has recently had a, a COVID diagnosis or knows someone who has or who's someone who's just lost someone to COVID or, or a cancer diagnosis? Several of us here today are, are dealing with that now or who has suffered some other serious setback. Or like Colleen, who's here with us today, who suffered the heartbreak of, of losing a loved one and is now faced with that long journey of grief that so many of us know. We know what it's like. It's hard. You feel alone and you can feel abandoned. Who do you know who might be feeling that way today? Who do you know who needs to hear this story about the babe who is a sign to us, a, a sign of the stunning good news that God, in spite of what we may feel, is never absent, that God refuses to abandon us, that God is right there as close as the air we breathe. Brothers and sisters, let us this Advent be the people who live in such a way, who do the things that bear witness to this good news, that God is here and present and on his way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.